Amen. Praise God. Thank you, worship. Man, thank you so much. <clears throat> Tonight, uh, I'm going to be dealing the last part of the message on the Holy Spirit. It is a testimony of power. Is the name of the message. You have the Pentecostal, the magazine that is there, and I would strongly encourage you uh, in our time of planning, we said let's order because we'd like to see every person have one and people of the Spirit, and uh, I think it'll bless you. At least take time to read it. Take a look at it. Uh, you'll see some marvelous testimonies as indicated there. And then here's a, an interesting statistic. We are Victory Church, but we belong to a mother uh, fellowship, um, uh, the Assemblies of God. But in our movement, uh, one in four Christians uh, is uh, one in four Christians in the world are Pentecostal or charismatic, and one in four, think about that. So that would be one in four would be what percentage? 25%. I got that from these young students over here. Math geniuses, yes, they are. Thank you. Every 41 seconds, a person comes to faith in an Assembly of God ministry. Think about it. Every 41 seconds seconds. Let's give the Lord a clap offering for that. Not only, but we are changing the face of our movement. In 2001, 29% uh, of our congregations were, were non-white uh, ethnic minority. But now I can tell you proudly that 44%. So God is blessing us with a lot of diversity, and we thank God for that. So You'll find all those stats located right here. Would you be kind enough to, uh, to take a look at it and, and read it since it's a gift to you? All right, let's talk about what is, what is the series that we're in. Anybody know? Good. It's in the bulletin there, so it's not a hard question. It's like the answer is right there in your lap. Jesus, greater than religion. All right? Greater than religion. Acts, the 17th chapter. Starting with verse 15, I want to read this as a text to kind of settle us in because today I'm going to be talking through the anointing of the Holy Spirit and kind of hopefully challenge your intellect, inspire your spirit, and give you a clear understanding of who it is that you serve. So here we go. The men who had escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instruction for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of what? Idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. If we ask the question, is Jesus greater than religion? Here's what our answer would be. Absolutely. Why? Religion is an institution Religion is a group of idol often, but Jesus is relationship. And that relationship with Christ is greater than religion. There are many different religions in our culture today. Some, of course, uh, have to pray on a rug. I've been on airplanes uh, that's uh, going across the pond, and it would come time to pray. And some, of course, would take their rug out, get out of their seats, and pray toward Mecca. I've had others, of course, pray toward 
to, uh, toward Jerusalem. I have been in Africa and driven through the, the witch doctor flea markets, literally flea markets that sell everything under the sun to help you practice witchcraft, all kinds of incense, all that goes with that. I've seen it. I've been in cultures where I've seen them cut themselves trying to please the God of their choice. And also in religion, you get caught up in superstition and things of that nature. I read recently in study for this message that somebody saw Mary on a piece of whole wheat toast and saw the picture that is there, saw Jesus in the bark of a tree. Let me tell you, and many times they make shrines out of these things or on a window. Let me tell you where if you want to see Jesus, you want to take a good look at who he is, just get this book out right here from this leather cover to that leather cover. You'll see who Jesus is right here. Somebody say amen. It's right there. You see, we understand religion can be legalistic. That is to say, here are the things you have to do in order to bring pleasure to God. The old song that we sing from time to time, but Billy Graham always sang, just as I am is the simplicity of who Jesus is. He said he will forgive you, redeem you, love you, and you come just as you are, and he'll forgive your sins, and not only forgive them, he will forget them. Somebody say amen. Oh, but there have been many that's burned by religion and burned by churches. Churches, let me tell you, oh, yeah, I got hurt, so I'm never returning. There are many individuals that say, hey, the church, the church is judgmental people, religious institution. There are others that said, buddy, I got cynical attitudes when I was there and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Listen to me, friend. You might have ought against the church because there are no perfect churches. This church is a group of scarred, marred individuals who had nothing that Jesus Christ came along and redeemed us, bandaged us up, dealt with us. We are imperfect, but here's what we do know. The God we serve, his name is Jesus, has never made a mistake and never talked about you and never judged you. His name is Jesus. Many cults exist today in our society and in the world. And it seemed like the weirder the cult, the more people chase the cult. The more out of the ordinary that it is, the more people often that are drawn to it. The message of the gospel is simple. Jesus was born a baby. Not only that, he died on the cross. He came forth out of the tomb, and then in Acts 2, Christianity, or what we call the way, was born. And there is nothing mystical about that. Jesus is not judgmental, and my friend, I want you to know he loves you more than you can ever imagine. Jehovah does. And here's what the Bible said in the New Testament. When he talked to those people, he said, God has drawn near to you. So what does Jesus do? He is part of the deity. He comes from the presence of the Father, the Holy Spirit. He comes down and he makes himself a man and he lives among men. He became human. He made no mistakes. He walked among men. He died a death of individuals of a crucifix. And we know that he came down. Why? Because he loved 
just you. So the next time you get out of sorts, the next time you look in the mirror, the next time you get out of shape, the next time you get judgmental, remember this, there is one, his name is Jesus, who died for you and will continue to do everything he can to let you know that he loves you. And all you have to do is say, by the grace of God, I'm grateful that he's given mercy to me. That's the start of the message. Acts 17, we find Luke. How many of you know what Luke's profession was? You're right. Dr. One has said he was a physician. He wrote one of the Gospels, one that we know. What would that be? Luke. You are the smartest individuals this Sunday morning that I have ever seen. Luke has his name on it. We know that some credit him to saying he also authored the book of Acts. But let's just say he authored Luke. He was traveling with the person that used to be Saul, who now is Paul, okay? I want you to kind of join with me, and let's just journey with them. They're traveling, and there are two individuals when they get to Athens that they are waiting on. Do you remember the key text? They were waiting on who? Silas and I mean, it was on the screen, I read it, and you forgot it. That would be Timothy and how many agree with me that it was Timothy and Silas by raised hand? Oh, Lord, a sharp. The majority of you didn't raise your hand in the balcony. I know who you are. Timothy and Silas. So think about it. Paul goes with Luke. They get to Athens. Well, when is uh, Silas and Timothy going to be here? Well, they're supposed to come sooner than later. Paul walks around. Paul was one of the most intellectual individuals about law, about God that's ever born in that day. He, of course, served in the highest of offices in the land. He's been to Athens before. So while in Athens, he's looking around and he's noticing idols. Now, when he was blind to the truth of the gospel, the idols did not bring themselves out to him. He didn't really notice them. But once he came, became a believer, he noticed those idols are ungodly. And he noticed that they had thousands of them. We're walking along with them. He's looking at some of the architecture and buildings that if you were to go to Athens today, you would see some of the same buildings that Paul saw during his day. What's he doing? He's on fire. I mean, you talk about his conversion. It was nothing out of the ordinary from the standpoint. Buddy, you take this great religious person, throw him in the dirt. He is so blind he can't see light at all. He is blind. He has a conversion that's unbelievable. God's voice says to him, what are you kicking against the pricks or the goads that are there? And he came to the realization, I've been on the wrong track and the wrong way. But when he realized who Jesus was, he radically changed. And here's what he thought. Hey, what happened to me needs to happen to you. But if I don't tell individuals about what happened to me and who Jesus is, you will remain blind as I was. So he's not ashamed. He just goes and he's in the, in the city streets. 
He's teaching and preaching. He's talking to the Greeks. He's talking to some of the Romans. It's the simple story. He makes it simple. He's not getting philosophical with them. He's saying, hey, there's a man named Jesus who is the Son of God. He was a baby that's born. I'm sure that you heard about him. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He was God in the flesh. And I want to tell you about him. And yet when Jesus preached, he said, the Jews and the Greeks and the Gentiles did not like it. So in fact, they killed him, hung him on that cross, and he died. But what they were not counting on, that he was God. And that when he died on that cross, on the third day, just as recorded out of the old law, that man Jesus came forth out of the grave and made himself appear before hundreds, Jews, Greeks, Gentiles, hundreds saw him after the resurrection. So it cannot be any question about what happened. It's recorded in the law. Wow, what a message. He realized that the Athens were very pious people. Anybody know a pious person? Anybody related to a pious person? <laughs> they were pious. They were wealthy. Now, the two don't have to go together. They were intensely religious. They had one idol after another. They were sophisticates. And Paul began to explain his conversion in contrast to the religion that he had. And it's a message of the gospel. So while Paul was waiting in Acts 17, verse 16, here's what it says. While Paul was waiting for them... In Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. He didn't see them before his conversion. But he happened to take a good look at them. Now, everywhere he looked, he saw idols. And every idol meant something differently. Every one meant something that they concluded in Athens this, that, hey, if one idol is a God, why not we go out and get a whole bunch of idols? If one is enough, maybe you ought to have a hundred or two hundred, and that's what they did. There was no single focus, and we'll talk about that in a moment. So here we've got one family would have a hundred or more idols. That meant they were confused. They didn't know which one was God which one would redeem them, which one would help them. So what did they do? They spent a whole lot of time lighting candles, burning incense, offering sacrifice to a whole bunch of idols, hoping that one of those idols would do the trick for them. So Acts 17, 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. And then in Acts 17, 18, a group of Epicureans, a Stoic philosophers, began to dispute him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Stoic simply means they had no feeling. 
They were just replete and no emotion. Just it's black and white. Epicureans, of course, happened to be individuals that were philosophers, that thought they knew everything about religion and about law. They had forgotten that the man that was presenting his case was a man that outdistanced them intellectually many, many years before that time. And here's what the Epicureans, the philosophers, this was what they felt. Hey, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you might die. Don't try to figure anything out. Don't let anything bog you down. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just live for the moment. I mean, my Lord of mercy, you got a bunch of idols. You can take any one of them, burn a little incense, and it's got to cover it. So just have yourself a good old time. It also meant that they were about pleasure, pleasure physically and pleasure sexually. And they thought, given enough time, they could rationalize and try to figure out what their life's purpose was about. Until then, we're just into the religious activity So the Epicureans, of course, began to debate him. And they were really educated and intelligent. And one spoke up. He was the bold one. He said, what is this babbler trying to say? What is he trying to say? That is an extremely derogatory comment lodged against anyone teaching and preaching and speaking. Paul had been preaching the simple message of Jesus Christ. Telling them, not in just physical or, or psychological terms and philosophical terms and theatrical or theological terms. He says, my message is simple. It is specific. It's not about religion. It's about a person. And it's about an event. It is about the resurrection. Paul declared that God came in the person of Jesus Christ and said, you don't have to guess anymore. You can take all your idols and throw them away, and I'll tell you why in a moment. There is one that has proven power, one that has a powerful existence, one that's smarter than all of us, one that died on the cross, and one that went to the tomb. And all your other gods has never done it, but when he went to the tomb, just like recorded in the Old Testament law, he came to life on the third day, and to prove his validity, he showed himself to hundreds and hundreds of people. What's his name? You need to get focused. You guys are spending your time and spinning your wheels. So they said, well, we need to go a step further. Acts 17, 19. They took him and brought him into a meeting of the Arabacris. Arabacris. It's a court that you would come and present your case And if they gave you permission to continue to speak in the marketplace, you were good. They were the religious brainiacs. And they said, tell us your case, Paul. We'll listen to it. Paul shared it. And they said, now listen, this is way too strange for us. If they said that to you, here's what they did. They escorted you out of town and said, don't come back, don't bring your teaching, don't bring your preaching. And if, in fact, you come back and do your teaching and your preaching, we're going to put you in jail. 
Acts 17, 20, you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, they said, and we want to know what they mean. Pause with me for a moment. Every other person that would come before them had a philosophy that was man-made or an education that was supported by someone else's teaching. But when Paul began to teach, it was not his opinion that he was teaching. It wasn't his words that he was sharing. You see, Paul was sharing from the throne room of Almighty God. He was sharing with them the principles of God. He was sharing with them the truth anointed by the Holy Spirit. And here's what happened to them. Paul knew that he was in high gear when they said, we want to know more because he knew they'd booted out one after the other. But when Paul preached things that they had never heard and they thought they'd heard it all, and when they said, tell us more, Paul knew, Holy Spirit, Spirit, you are here and you are touching their life and their understanding and their ears. And it was an unbelievable moment. Pardon my yard talk. You just can't shut up the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can doubt it and try to run from it, but you can't even get away from conviction. If you're running from God, he's already been where you're headed. He'll greet you when you get there. If you think you can find another rock to crawl under, he's already under there because he created the ground in which that rock sits. Anybody with me? If you think you can get away from the prayers of a mama and the prayers of a daddy and, oh, my Lord, the prayers of a grandma or grandpa, you might think again, friend, because you ain't, yard talk, you ain't going to get away from it because those prayers one day will be answered by the grace and mercy of God. You can count on it. Put your hands together and let's give him a clap offering. Paul knew that. He stands in this high court. And he's listening and sharing. You get in your mind's eye with me for a moment. Thousands of idols everywhere. And you're thinking, well, Paul said, okay, since you're asking. Verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of Aracopus and said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Verse 23, for as I've walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I've even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. Do you know what they call that? The just in case God. Let me explain it. They felt like we've got all these idols we want to cover every base just in case. We don't want to left in want. We want to be certain that we got every base covered. And somebody said, well, what if there's somebody that we don't know about? So they said, well, let's build an altar and an idol to the unknown God. And after all, we worship our idols. There just happens to be a God we don't know about. And just in case he comes into town, we can say, oh, yeah, we didn't overlook you. We have an idol called the unknown God out there. And you, we are safe and we are covered. Paul said it does not work that way. But let me tell you what culture does. Here's how culture operates in that regard. The just in case God. 
individuals may come to church once or twice a year. That's just so that they got things covered and it's just in case. Some might go to the confessional booth and maybe confess once a year and come back out and say, well, got that done, my annual confession, and now I can live like I want to. Well, why'd you go to confession? Well, you know, just in case. I want to be certain that I'm pleasing the church and, and the Pope is happy and satisfied, so it's a just in case. Somebody said, well, I gave to the church. Yeah, just in case. You weren't obedient. You weren't faithful. You didn't give a tenth. You gave a little money and said, just in case. I want you to know, God, I am a giver just in case. And you know what Paul was saying? When you have religion, you can follow the just-in-case. But when you have relationship, you have an intimacy with the only one. And there's only one. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the one that loves you, that died for you, will continue to support you and guard you. Honor him with all of your heart. He gave that full message of the gospel just in case. What was their problem? They had no assurance. You remember the song, some of you, you young people don't. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Air of salvation. Hello? Blessed assurance. They didn't have any assurance. Why? They weren't focused on one God. They thought they all, we got them covered, and just in case they're not the ones, we got an unknown God. How in the world can you be focused? They had no assurance. Paul said, I'm going to give you assurance that it's not a religious institution. It is a person. And he, oh, you're going to hear this in a minute, he knows your name. Amen. Amen. He knows your name. Paul says here it is, with no assurance, you have no specific guideline. And he says that you are ignorant to the very thing you worship. He said the message I give to you is an absolute truth, and truth can be tested over and over and over again, and the truth is always the truth. Amen. It doesn't change. It is real, Acts 17, 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven, is the Lord of heaven, and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. Whoa! We wasted a lot of money building all these temples. I just went down to Dollar General and bought another 20 idols. They had them for a buck a piece. I even got the incense. And what you're saying is I'm ignorant that God is not in the idol and he's not in the temple. He's the one that made heaven and earth. Paul said, yard talk, he don't live in them. Go clean them out for a garage sale. He said, God is bigger than your idols, bigger than your temples, 
bigger than your denomination, bigger than your religious system, more powerful than anything that you can ever imagine. In verse 25, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. In other words, he said to those Athenians and the Greeks and the Romans, you guys offer all kinds of things to these idols and you sacrifice many. But listen, the God that I know, Jehovah God, Jesus Christ the Son of God needs nothing from you. As a matter of fact, He's the one that created breath for you to enjoy. You don't have to give Him a thing to please Him other than answer Him when He calls your name. He's bigger than your religious system. And then He carries on in verse 26. For one man, (laughs) He made every nation of men. How many nations did He make? Every nation that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact place where they should live. The exact place. He knew where you'd be living today. He knew what language you would be speaking. He knew what your name would be. He knew what your exact address is. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what your future holds. And he said the reality is he's the one that created everything under the sun, above the sun, and the below the sun. And if you think your mom and dad happen to be the one that chose where you live, you better think again. God is the one that said you'll be born to those parents. That's where I want you born. And here's the name that they're going to give you. You might think this is a spooky thing, but he said I control everything that moves, that has breath, and has life. That's why an unbeliever can't run and get away from him. Did you hear me? I said, that's why an unbeliever cannot run and get away from who God is. He will make it happen. And so we find that God is saying through Paul from the beginning of time on earth that God knew exactly what would be going on. So verse 27, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Here he is in this place. There he is online. In Mexico, where we're going, he's there already. He stated that you already have religious activities. And that's why, because, because in the heart of every person, God created a need for a higher power. And that's why they worshiped idols and had their little eyes when burned incense trying to satisfy that void is there. But they were led astray. When the devil gets involved, he will blind you. And Paul said, I'm telling you the real deal is not found in all that. It's found in that person. And he is among you right now. His name is Jesus. One of the Greek philosophers stated, and we find it recorded, for in him we live and move and have our being." Did you have your devotions this morning privately? Did you get with your family and have? Did you have that time of prayer? Let me tell you where God was, where maybe you should have been. 
Do you have that time of uh, you talk to God and believe Him? My son-in-law was our son-in-law, and Sherry's uh, husband, and of course, they have three kids. Michael is his name. He's in the first service. You heard, heard me talk about Michael a lot of times. He had cancer 25 years ago. We found out last week he has cancer again. He has a level four, stage four cancer. It's in his stomach. It's in his intestines. He called, and I said, here, he's at Moffitt. We're going to believe God. Now, let me tell you something, friend. I'm not going to run to some idol. Let me use a little derogatory, some stupid idol. I'm not going to run to some idol and throw up a bunch of incense. I'm not going to confessional. I'm not going to run down and say, if I stand in front of that church, I hope I see the face of Jesus. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I know who he is. Amen. I know he is here right now. And I'm going to say, almighty God, just like he has done for many of you this room. God, here's what I need from you. I'm expecting it to happen by the grace of God. I have nothing to offer you but acts of obedience and a life of service. Now, God, show up. Hallelujah. And if you choose to bring divine healing, we're going to share it and claim but if you don't do a thing, we're still going to praise your name because you are God, my friend. You are God. Some of you need to wake up and let the Holy Ghost grip your heart on this Pentecost day. Too many of us have those idols in our lives. Oh, we withdraw. Religion is an institution of blindness that has a facade an imitation of who God is, but a relationship will set your feet to dancing and you cannot get enough of the one who has redeemed you, my friend. He knows, for in him we live and move. And have our being. I'm going to give you encouragement today that your prayers are going to be answered, whatever you're praying. They're not just floating around out there that they don't have God's attention. Acts 17, 29 says, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design or skill. What is he saying? Hey, guys. All your little idols, he's not in it. All your temples, he's not in it. I don't care if it's silver or gold, he is not there. In the past, God overlooked your ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Paul is saying, the minute that I have delivered this message, then I want you to know you have been hit with the truth, and no longer is God going to give you an excuse for spiritual ignorance. This is the way. Walk ye in it. Pay attention to it. Pay attention to it. Well, you don't understand. All I know is his name is Jesus and he died and is my redeemer. So Paul's standing in that courtroom and he says, but now he commands all people to repent. What does that word repent mean? It means to change your mind. I know you've been thinking this way, and I know you've been blind. But he said, it's time to change your mind. Because now you cannot hide behind a lie. You cannot hide behind ignorance. Amen. 
You cannot hide behind a facade or a church or a mom or a dad or a grandma that was religious. He said, it's you and the truth and God. Change your mind. <clears throat> In Acts 17, 31, for he has set, remember, he's still before this court. He has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him, talking about Jesus, from the dead. Repent. Change your mind. God came in the form of a baby and became a man. And he taught in the temple, but people didn't understand. And so they killed him. But God's plan for him was this. Death must be defeated. And on the third day, the whispering winds began to blow and the earth began to shake and lightning began to flash across the skies because nature could not control itself. The moment would come precisely at the timing of Almighty God. And when that happened, that earth shook and that stone rolled away as perfectly as can be. And that man who was buried in that grave, his name Jesus, once again came to life and walked out of that tomb hallelujah was he scar free no he said Thomas look at this scar right here it's real son touch it Thomas said my 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 I was about to believe another lie so I want to encourage you let's don't have any idols a misunderstanding of ignorance here's the next thing on the agenda so that we all understand it When Israel became a nation, that was the last key. The last key before the Bible says, study it. The last key that says everything has to be in place for the rapture to take place. And when Israel became a nation, then that cleared the path. It's all in the Bible there. That cleared the path. For the rapture to take place. What is the rapture? Here's what. He said, and the dead in Christ will rise, and those who are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air to meet the Lord. In other words, he says, when that rapture takes place, we know that we're facing a time of tribulation, that when the rapture takes place, every believer that has a bona fide relationship with Jesus, not a religious experience, not on the fence, not walking haphazardly, that person that their life is good before God, he said they're going to go to meet the Lord in the air. The dead will rise first, but the majority of culture will be left behind. Because they will have heard the message, no matter how many churches, how much radio, how much television, how much printed message, it said they still will not believe. Why? Because it said the blindness and the ignorance of that court that Paul talks about rest on the world. And they will be left behind. It said one will be in the field, one is taken, 
and one remains behind. If you're on an airplane and both pilots, pilot, co-pilot, are born-again believers, that plane, my friend, will crash. You say, well, that, that's a myth. Ah, nah, no, sir. If that pilot is there, that plane's doomed. I'm telling you, see, you're trying to scare us. No, I'm just telling you what the Bible is. Here's what it says. Here's what it says. Why? Because he said, I've given you preachers, I've given you churches, I've given you messages, I've given you written word, I've given you, I've given you miracles and all that goes with it. And if you're not right with God, it's because you've chose to turn your back on God's appeal to you. You chose to do it your way. You chose to walk in your stubbornness. You chose to try to take advantage and say, God, I can go one more day and not really pay attention. This is what Paul is saying to them. Hey, when that day happens, he will bring justice to everybody. And when that rapture takes place, which could happen, no man knoweth when the Son of Man shall appear. No man at a moment in the twinkling of an eye, before you can take a breath, it's over. And Paul is endeavoring to get their attention and say, wake up, get ready, don't play any more games. Don't run, don't hide, because he knows where you're at. If you've got children and grandchildren that you don't know that they know, don't play games with them, friend. Well, I don't want to say anything to them. You know what? If they were drowning in an ocean somewhere, you do your best to reach them, whether they liked it or not. And when that moment happens, the dead in Christ will rise. And Paul is saying, I will bring judgment. So what will happen when the church, the rapture is gone, government will still exist. That's when we have the mark of the beast, 666. You say, well, is that possible? Do you know your government knows more about you than you ever imagined? Do you know that? I talked to a government specialist the other day and said, Pastor, we know more about you through your Social Security, through all the transaction, your information, even on your phone. We know where you are. So you think for a moment that the government of the Antichrist would have any problem saying, you know what? Here's what it says. You'll not be able to buy and sell no groceries, no food, no water unless you take the mark of the beast. And to take the mark of the beast, you have to deny the existence of God. You deny it. Well, you say, for holding my grandbaby out, buddy, I'll take that mark of the beast any day. The minute you do, the minute you do, you're eternally lost. So I know this message is not one that's going to cause you to jump up and down. But listen carefully, friend. It is a message of declaration that it's time America got right with God and it's time the church of Jesus Christ talked to him. Would you stand? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your care. I thank you because I know the Apostle Paul did some great teaching in front of that court. I know that some said, what's wrong with this babbler? 
well, some sneered. And others said, we want to hear what you have to say on this subject. And God, if there's people in this room right now are listening online, and I believe there are, that they've not focused in on that personal relationship. They've got a little idol of self-pleasure, a little idol of their own schedule. They've got to live life. They work hard all week long, and they don't have time to do all the things that they need to do. And God, we often say you understand, but I'm saying right here from this pulpit today, God does not understand. And there will come a time that his grace and his mercy will end and we'll be left behind unless we know him. So during the tribulation period, there are those who will not take the mark they will die but when they die they will have that eternal relationship but God it doesn't make any sense when it's so easy just to live for you and to be wholeheartedly committed now rather than wait until then when it's near impossible. I pray you speak to every person, every young person, and anybody in this room that's dilly-dallying around, and they're doing things in their life and in their behavior, and if you were to ask them, are they saved? Yeah, they'd say yes, but in reality, they know good and well that they're a whited sepulcher and there are sins there that brings displeasure to you. That has to be cleaned up. It has to be. And God, I pray that you would now minister and meet the need of every person here. And just in case, I'm asking every one of you to repeat this prayer after me. Would you be kind enough to do that? Everybody, everybody online, dear Heavenly Father, dear Heavenly Father I thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for Jesus Christ. I am a sinner, I'm a sinner. And, I need forgiveness. and I need forgiveness. Come into my heart, Come into my heart. Cleanse, me from unrighteousness. cleanse me from unrighteousness. I submit my life, I submit my life. and all of my struggles, all of my struggles. To, you. to you. Over and over again, God, over and over again, God. I've made commitments. But I have failed so many times. Today I'm asking you. Let my commitment be rock solid. As I confess to you. I need you. In Jesus name. Amen. You believe God answered prayer? You believe that? Those online, you believe that? We believe that. We're going to open these altars up. We're going to pray and we're going to believe. And if you prayed that prayer, you know what might be important to you? Is just publicly say to God, I'm not hiding my commitment. God, I'm telling you that I'm not ashamed of you. I'm telling you that I'm grateful for this moment. 
Or maybe you're sick, as Michael Young is. We prayed for him in the first service right there that God would undertake digging in. Do you know how many times I prayed for people and they didn't get healed? I mean, as we wanted, a lot. And you know what the devil will do when you have that happen? Hey, what's the use? What's the use? Well, here's what I figured out. One, I need to exercise. And two, I need to be committed enough to say, God, this is what I want. I'd like to see you do it. But devil, I want you to know if he doesn't do what I want him to do, you still are a liar and a stinker and a deceiver, and you're going to burn forever in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you need a touch of God in your body, you come as we sing. I'll give the benediction in just a moment. We're going to wait on you. Here we go, everybody. See what happens. Come on down, friend. Let God touch you. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Anyone in the balcony? Come on down, friends. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. to give the benediction but I want you to know if you still feel led and you need to come into this altar while others are exiting and you know that God's desire is for you to be here these altar workers are going to hang out a few more minutes you come on down I don't want to see you miss God Father I thank you for your touch your wisdom and your anointing I believe that you're in this place today I pray now that you would move in a special way in the life of every person. I pray you'll heal the sick. I pray you'll deliver those from bondage, habitual bondage in their lives, and you would liberate them. I pray for so many in our congregation that's running from you. They're running from you. Oh, they might put the name that they're running from 
a name or an institution, but the reality is they're running from you. God, bring them to a place of the end zone and bring them to their knees and rescue them from their blindness and darkness. Deliver them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to visit with you in the lobby off to the right out there. Don't forget the Pentecostal. Don't forget, come tonight. We will continue preaching this message tonight. Love you, everybody. You are.